the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as uh, this is one of those passages that uh, kind of awkward, I'd love to skip over it, but uh, here we are marching our way through uh, the um, book of First Timothy, and uh, we ask that as we it has been read and we, um, as I now proclaim it, uh, I ask that you would make it useful and uh, and uh, helpful for our congregation. Father, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. All right, um, here in First Timothy chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty-one, basic. Basically, Paul is saying, honor your elders and pay your pastor well. <laughs> so, like, I think I spent more time trying to figure out how to skip over this passage than I did studying it. But, uh, but here we are. Our denominational bookstore used to sell an apron that had a question printed on it. And this apron on the front of it, it says, have you, have you hugged a Presbyterian today? I was reminded of these aprons as I studied verse 17 in preparation for this sermon. So I titled this sermon, you know, Have You Hugged an Elder Lately? Paul wanted to make sure that the congregation would eagerly follow the leadership of the elders in the church. So he wrote in verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You will remember when we started our study in 1 Timothy that the main reason that Paul wrote 1 Timothy was to have Timothy remove the elders who were not ruling well. There were elders who were teaching uh, heresy and they were leading the congregation astray. In removing the poor elders, Paul wanted to make sure that the congregation did not lose respect for the eldership in general. I was in a church uh, in the past where there was an elder who appeared to me to be unconverted. Simply because he was an elder, he expected to be treated with great respect, and he tried to uh, exercise undue influence around the church. He would go to different families uh, secretly in the church, and he would give his personal opinion as if it were the, de- the decision of the session. And he caused a lot of trouble in the church. Paul did not say every elder was worthy of honor just because they held the office. He said only those who rule well were to be held in honor by the congregation. And the honor to be given to the elder was not just a passive willingness to abide by their ruling, but it was to be an active and joyful eagerness to follow the elders' leadership. That's what I think uh, that Paul meant by double honor. So then it raises the question, how does an elder rule well? The New International Version translates the word rule uh, in a rather loose way by saying, that uh, an elder rules well who directs the, the affairs of the church well. Although it's a loose translation, it uh, captures Paul's thought pretty well. An elder is charged to direct 
or to manage the affairs of the church with God-centered wisdom. This means that the elder is to guard and to shepherd the flock. It means that an elder is to guard and teach biblical doctrine. It means that an elder is willing to warn members of the flock that are straying uh, away from Christ or to warn uh, members of the church who are caught in unrepentant sin. Managing the affairs of the church is very different than managing a business or a charity organization. There are uh, good and wise business practices that elders should observe in managing the church. But to treat the church only as a business or ultimately, uh, would, be, would ultimately be disastrous for the church. The church is the living body of Christ. Mercy, grace, and faith must factor into every decision that an elder makes. An elder directs the affairs of the church, or an elder that directs the affairs of the church like this, is an elder that rules well. Notice Paul makes a distinction in the eldership. There are those who rule, and those who, in addition to ruling, also specialize in uh, preaching and teaching. So look again at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In the Presbyterian Church, we have ruling elders and we have teaching elders. Uh, I am a teaching elder. I am ordained to labor in preaching and in teaching. Jim Eggert, David Crabtree, Joe Bethany, Dell Patton, um, uh, Larry Gillespie, uh, Lee Baird, Bill Sherman, uh, Alan McLaughlin. They are all ruling elders, um, lay elders, if you will, uh, but elders nonetheless. There's only, I was looking around, um, looking for, for our elders, and uh, I think, well, and Jimbo is uh, a teaching elder, actually in the Presbytery and our assistant pastor as well. But in terms of the ruling elders, um, I think most of the guys are out of town. <laughs> so, but uh, I think Larry's the only one serving on the session this year today. Uh, but uh, Lee and Alan and Bill uh, are here. As, so anyway, um, and Dale has moved. Teaching elders and ruling elders are not two separate offices in the church. It is only a distinction within the office. Uh, there are only two types of officers in the church. There are elders and deacons. And then there's this distinction between ruling elders and teaching elders that um, is a true distinction but uh, a minimal distinction because the emphasis is on the fact that ruling elders and teaching elders are both elders. In verse 18, Paul says that those who labor in preaching and teaching should receive compensation. So verse 18, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul has quite a bit to say in his letters about 
uh, compensating the pastor. In 1 Corinthians 9, while defending his ministry against some of the false teachers in Corinth, he gave his most, most lengthy instruction on compensating ministers. You'll notice that in 1 Corinthians 9 and in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, about muzzling the ox while it's treading out the grain. And uh, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do not Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and the laborers and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? By the way, he's saying that the apostles uh, had um, wives. He's saying pastors. Uh, It is lawful, biblical to have wives uh, in distinction uh, to those who would say that we should not. Or is it Only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen that God is concerned. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have spiritual things among you, or if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, boiling it all down, Paul says that every minister should have his basic needs adequately met. And I can tell you without hesitation, without equivocation, that uh, you, meet m- you meet my needs. My, my needs are very adequately met. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um, please allow me to speak personally to one issue. Before I do that, I want to tell you a story about a pastor friend of mine in Atlanta. A member of his congregation, um, or a member... Yeah, a member of his congregation belonged to an exclusive and very expensive tennis club in North Atlanta. And the pastor was an accomplished tennis player. So the church member purchased a membership uh, for the pastor. And the pastor led several people to Christ um, at the club. And he started a weekly Bible study at the club. But the pastor always felt sheepish about a member. Uh, or felt sheepish about being a member of such an expensive and exclusive club. So when, he, when anyone mentioned, oh, I heard that you were, mentioned, or you were a member of this uh, tennis club, he would always be quick to say, before they could even say whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, he'd say, it's a gift. <laughs> when Mandy's mom and brother moved here to Brandon four years ago, Elaine purchased a home for us with enough room for Mandy and I to build an addition for Elaine and Joey to live in. Long story short, we live in a beautiful and spacious home 
that we'd never be able to, to dream of affording without my mother-in-law's generosity. We have the progressive dinner coming up in two weeks. My family hosts the appetizer portion of the dinner. We have several new families at Westminster, and I especially want to invite you to participate uh, in, the, um, in the progressive dinner. Get to know more people in the congregation. Allow my wife and I to share, uh, to show off uh, the beautiful home uh, that we live in. But please remember, it's a gift. <laughs> I want to say a few words about how we compensate Jimbo. I think this is appropriate in regard to this sermon. Uh, his salary does not come from the church budget. He is supported by people from all over the, the country who supported him prior to his family coming to our church. For the past 15 years or more, Jimbo has faithfully proclaimed Christ in dangerous neighborhoods and in uh, prisons, first in Minneapolis and then here in Brandon. When Jimbo started coming to our uh, church, at least four days a week, he was preaching Christ to individuals in Temple Terrace and around Nebraska Avenue, College Hill, even here in Brandon. And the response in College Hill led us to start praying about a church plant to disciple those who are making professions of faith. Although Jimbo is employed as the assistant pastor here at Westminster, his job is to plant a church in College Hill and continue to preach in the jails in Polk County. Jimbo and his family live in the church manse, or for those of you new to Presbyterian uh, jargon, uh, that's the, the manse, or I mean the parsonage, and that's part of his salary package. But that's the only compensation he receives from the church. Their salary comes all from the outside support from around the country. A very adequate amount of money comes in. His, his, in fact, his his supporters are so enthused by the church plant that his support has increased this year. Money that comes into Christ satisfies ministries goes to support his family. It comes into our church and goes right back to him um, as um, as part of the salary that he gets, and then money over and above that uh, goes for. Um, reimbursement for travel. He travels all the way over to the other side of Polk County uh, twice a week to preach in the jails. It goes to ministry meals. It goes to, uh, to uh, insurance and, and different things uh, like that. So uh, that's how he is supported here. Um, his uh, salary and, and um, the support for the church plant do not negatively uh, affect our church budget. Uh, except for living in the manse, everything comes from the outside. This is typical for church plants. The church planner raises his support. Let me say a word or two about Jimbo's schedule. Every Monday, he travels to Polk County to preach in the jail to the inmates. He is so enthusiastically received by, um, by the prison population that uh, they have had to give him the entire prison quad. Uh, they had a 50-person room, uh, room set aside, and uh, other preachers come in. They go into that 50-room um, 
50-person room, but when Jimbo is there on uh, Mondays and Fridays, they have to open up the entire quad because he is uh, so enthusiastically received. He's teaching them or preaching through the book of Romans and discipling them as well. On Tuesdays, he spends at least five hours evangelizing in College Hill. On Wednesday, he's back in College Hill discipling some of those who attend the Sunday services, does some evangelism. Thursday uh, is his study day because he's preaching uh, three times a week. On, uh, and then on Sunday, I'm sorry, Friday, he's back in uh, Polk County in the jails. Sunday, he's preaching at uh, Christ Satisfies Presbyterian Church on Sunday afternoon. So, uh, he is um, busy. On Oh, Friday morning, he and I also get together for accountability, for planning, and for prayer together. He is busy. Um, and uh, when he's not busy preaching, he's preparing sermons and preaching Christ here around our uh, own community. He's staying busy. He's staying on task. I'd love for all of you to visit Christ Satisfies Church. Um, Sunday afternoons, 324 over in College Hill. I felt it important to give a brief rundown on how Jimbo spends his time because I want you to know that he is accountable to me and to our session. Uh, He was not voted on by the congregation because he was hired by the session to plant the church in College Hill. If he were the associate pastor, he would be voted on by the congregation and his responsibility would be here primarily, here in in our congregation. Um, I bring this up because accountability is becoming a forgotten word in our culture. Nobody wants to be held accountable these days. And I look at our elected elected leaders uh, in our nation And some of the overtly illegal things that are done by the politicians blows my mind. And they are not held accountable. Seems like there's two levels of justice. It appears that one of the cornerstones of our free society has eroded because the rule of law is openly disregarded. The rot has started at the top and it infects um, our entire nation. And when I say at the top, I'm talking about... um, Many of our elected leaders in the past um, and, and some in the present. If the rule of law and accountability are to be maintained, it must be present in the church. The church must hold, hold itself accountable. This is Paul's point in verses 19 through 21. He says... Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Timothy was sent to remove the elders who were teaching heresy. So can you imagine what this would do to the congregation. Elders are being removed. Scandal is uh, happening in the church. The gossip line was likely to be very active. So some elders in such an environment 
might be falsely accused. So Paul reminded them not to entertain unsubstantiated rumors or heresy. And the elders here are not being held to a, to a lower standard where if someone, one person brings an, uh, an accusation, therefore the elders were um, not held accountable. Rather, this is the standard that God has always had for all people and for all societies, uh, that there must be two witnesses, at least, uh, for um, someone to be uh, found guilty. Otherwise, it's hearsay, uh, rumor. And so Paul is saying here, if uh, there's going to be a charge brought against an elder, it must be with two or three witnesses. Once found guilty and the elder remains unrepentant, then they are to be rebuked in the presence of the whole congregation. Once found guilty, and the elder repents, the elder might be um, required to step down from ministry, or be suspended for a while, but it would not necessarily be made public in that way, unless it was a a sin of of gross and, and public sin. But here he's saying, if they remain unrepentant, then they are to be rebuked in the presence of everyone. So look at verse 21. In the presence of God, I'm sorry, verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Then verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And so Paul is charging Timothy, make sure that you are being honest, that you are being honorable when someone brings a charge. In other words, um, don't prejudge If you have an elder that is a friend, if you have someone else who gives a lot of money, don't overlook, but be accountable because Timothy, he's saying, you are accountable to God and to the angels. What we need to, to hear this morning, what our society needs to hear, is that there is a judgment day where everything will be brought to light. Every secret thing, every, um, every whispered word, whether good or evil, the Bible tells us, will be brought into the light of Him who sees and will judge everything, who will make every wrong right. And so He's telling the church, He's telling Timothy, He's telling us, be accountable. Because there will be a judgment. We are so thankful that our Lord Jesus Christ came and received the judgment for the church. That He was willing to be hung on that awful cross and take our punishment in our stead. Everyone will be held accountable. Will your sins be paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ? Or will you stand under them and pay for them for eternity or for a holy and righteous God? 
even as our sins are forgiven. God tells Timothy, don't prejudge because God is the judge. And so even as you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, even as your sins are forgiven, remember on that day, God will judge your works. Thankfully in Christ, they are forgiven. Look to Him. Trust in Him. As a congregation, we need to look to Him and serve under His glorious and loving Lordship. Let's pray together. Our Father, as um, we have been given these instructions uh, on how to treat uh, elders, how, um, how to hold elders in honor, um, the standards for honorable service, uh, for uh, holding elders to account. Lord, it's, it, for me it was a difficult uh, passage, um, but at the same time, uh, one full of wisdom. We look to you. We ask God that in your wisdom and in your grace, you would help us to be faithful uh, in um, following all of your instructions for the church as the church is the glorious body of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.